Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Our official second Sunday of the summer. It's nice and I say that because it's felt cold this summer, so welcome. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows Church, and I most of the time I'm hanging out in our West Seattle expression. I'm pretty excited. There's some, there's some families who are visiting us today. This is awesome. Oh, my goodness. You guys are back. Oh, my goodness. This is awesome. Uh, I'm just getting overwhelmed by seeing all these familiar faces. Um, thank you for joining us. This summer has just been wonderful. We've been in this... A sermon summer series that we've been putting together where we've had multiple different voices of different guys in our church coming and sharing the word with us this morning. And um, that's what been the, the series has been, a collection of reflections and meditations on passages that are near and dear to people's hearts. And that's what we're going to continue to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Psalm 145, which is a psalm that is near and dear to my heart and something that I've loved reading and loved meditating on for a few years now. And that's what we're going to be diving into. But even though I've been reading it, and I hope that you have this same kind of experience that I have, and I'm not fully alone here, there can be moments when I'm reading something, I'm reading a passage of scripture, and it's like my, my head is over here and my heart is over here. There's a sense when I'm reading about God and how good he is, and yet I don't quite feel that way. This psalm is David's last psalm of praise. This is a, this is a psalm proclaiming that God is great. And it's a helpful psalm that we can declare when we struggle with feeling God's absence. And maybe even perhaps feeling that God is not great. Sometimes it's difficult to reconcile God's greatness with our connection to the Word. So earlier this week, this is a psalm that I picked weeks and weeks ago that I was excited to, to preach on, that I was excited to share. But there was, throughout the day, there was like several hiccups and there was different things that happened. We, our car broke, one of our cars broke down, and so it's in the shop, and I'm walking back and forth to the office, and, and I'm huffing and puffing. It's getting hot in my office. The sun's beating down, and I'm reading this psalm of God's greatness Sweating, and then a wasp flew in my office because I had the window open, and then I'm outside of my office while the wasp is occupying my office. And I'm just like, I'm trying to like do the fan of the door, you know, but it keeps flying. It was really big. And, and I finally get home, and I'm not feeling like God is great. I'm looking at it. I'm, I've been reading it all day, and yet here I am. And so I'm telling this to, to Amy and I'm telling this to our kids that, you know, today I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I've been reading this passage, this psalm over how good God is and, and I don't even understand it. And then Amy, in all of her great wisdom, she's like, we got this, open it up. <laughs> so we open it up right there at the dinner table and we just start, and I just start reading it to them. And we're just jumping into this family worship. And as we're reading it, I finish it, expecting them to be like, yeah, that's a doozy, Dad. You've got it. But Elliot looks at me and he goes, 
I don't know what, what the problem is. That's easy. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, let's just talk about that. And then they begin just to, to talk about the things that they found. And, and over the course of our family conversation, the biggest things that came from this moment was that, one, it's true. Let me throw this. It's true regardless of my feelings. There's a truer reality at hand when I'm reading that. And the second one that my kids pointed out to me is, I don't have to worry about it, Dad, because it's all about Jesus. Wisdom from the mouth of babes, right? And those two things, I think, are what give us hope and hopefully will encourage you if you have moments when you're reading the scriptures or you're hearing your friends talk about how great God is, but deep inside you're feeling not necessarily that way. Perhaps you don't think that God is great at the moment. This psalm is for you. It's a song of truth for the highs and the lows of everyday life as it shows us God's greatness is wrapped in his goodness. And his goodness evokes his gentleness. And his gentleness promotes his nearness as our honest praise is a result of his presence. So would you pray with me in that direction? Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we get to spend together worshiping you, praising you for who you are. God, we see that in the scriptures, everything is pointing to Christ. Everything is pointing to Jesus and he is the visible, visible person of you. And we thank you for him. And we ask that as we think about your greatness, your goodness, your gentleness, these wonderful attributes of your name, we ask that it would connect to our, our minds and our hearts and give us strength for the days to come. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. So our psalm begins with the title of the message by David declaring that God is great. So would you read with me verses one through three, where it says, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. When I was reading that, the phrase that I want to point out to you and call your attention to is the one that struck me, and it's, I will bless you every day. David had good days. He had really good days. He is a testimony. We have documents of him having really good days. But we also have a testimony and documents of him having really bad days, like really bad days. And this was David's last psalm that he ever wrote. So this verse is coming from a lifetime of highs and lows. I had a friend of mine who was discipling me when I just became a Christian. She kind of took me under her wing as I was in high school trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in, in kind of a sea of, of peer pressures and unbelief and all the difficulties that teenagehood brings, the insecurities that it brings. 
And when she told me, and she told me this, she had wisdom far beyond her years, and she said, as a Christian now, your highs will be much higher, but your lows will be much lower. And I think that's true. I think as believers, we serve the king. We serve the king, and we have blessing after blessing that is shown to us through the scriptures. So any time we hit this, this moment of praise, it is a high, high. It is a moment that we are connecting with the Lord, that we get to see his evidence of grace moving in our life. But at the same time, when we know that we've rejected that, when we know we sinned against him, we haven't just sinned against ourselves or maybe a, a, a family member or a friend or somebody else. We've sinned against God himself, making that low much lower. So what is the answer then to that? Praising God is not only meant for the days that you're happy, the days that you're feeling really good. And it's not only meant, praise is not only meant for those solemn days that you're really sad, that you're having difficulties, that you're struggling to come up with the answer and you want to reach out to God in prayer. There must be a fight within you to praise God in every high and in every low. We praise God every day, every single day. A regular cadence of praise reveals his greatness in mundane moments. Our God is not subject to our lows. Our lows are subject to our God. The place and, to, and the place to start is practicing the discipline of praising God when you're most inconvenienced. Has anybody ever tried to do that? In the moments that you are not thinking at all about God? The moments when maybe the still small voice kind of reaches into your head, say, pull out your Bible, think about this. And you're like, that would not be a good time. That's probably the best time. That's probably one of the best times that you could come up with. Or that God would speak to you and show you. And what it does is it's practicing a discipline of regular cadence of praise so that we're seeing God at work, not in just in those high moments, not just in those low moments, but in every single moment. We're praising God in the mundane, in the ordinary, so that his name would be glorified and magnified. Praise involves an act of will, a decision on our part to praise God and not something else. If we're honest, friends, it's not a matter of if you will praise. It's a matter of what you will praise. The daily habit that David's putting forth here is a daily habit of praising God and blessing his name regardless of the emotion or the motivation, or the wasp that's flown into your office to produce a habit 
of eternal benefits to the worshiper. And check this out. This is, this is the guarantee, and this is the good news here, is that not only does it affect you, not only does it encourage you and set you in a place of discipline, it also encourages the people of God. So let's keep reading, verses 4 through 7. It says, One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. And I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. A regular cadence of praise reveals God's greatness to every generation. And I have, I have a, that, that little chunk there, verses 4 through 7, I have a particular fondness of, particular love for it, because it brings me back to this really good memory. On the Sunday morning that um, Pastor Bryant and Pastor Andrew, Pastor Bryant was a pastor who served with us for a number of years before, but this was the Sunday that they were introducing me in West Seattle at, after, the, after the gathering was up of being the candidate for the West Seattle Expression Pastor. And that Sunday morning was filled with a lot of emotions because it had been quite some time that God had been working in my life. He had been, uh, you know, cleaning me up in all sorts of senses, you know, he's been maturing me, been growing me in ministry and preparing me for this moment. And, and it was just a wonderful thing to see that all that God has done in my life. And I woke up that morning so grateful and so overwhelmed because what if, what if as soon as they said my name, like no one said anything? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awkward? <laughs> I didn't even want, just some noise would be helpful. You know, I just didn't want it to be like totally quiet. And I was just thinking there, I was kind of mulling this stuff over. But then an email comes up into my inbox and it's from Kim, Kim Arthur. All it says in the caption is, thought of you. And I clicked it and it's a, and it's a devotional of Psalm 145 of verses four through seven. And I read it, and tears filled my eyes because this was, this was exactly what I needed in that time to remind me, despite all of my kind of overwhelm and all of my feelings, that God is great. And it is the joy of each believer and each person to speak that into someone else's life. So that from generation to generation, even those in the same generation to other generations will get to magnify Christ together. It was, it was as if Kim had sent me that email to participate in the very act of what the psalm was doing. One will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and the other will declare his greatness. So if you call yourself a Christian, it is your job, it is your responsibility to commend God's greatness to others. When you do so, you are making far more of an impact 
than you realize. Your habit of praise may just be the word in the moment that a fallen friend is encouraged by. Or perhaps an overwhelmed friend is strengthened by. To make it even better, that promise of a generational legacy is an investment we do not want to lose out on. To think that deeds in themselves are enough won't cut it. Yes, we should be doing good deeds as Christians, as believers, to to show each other and to show the world who God is through these acts of kindness, but deeds in themselves do not constitute the mission of the people of God. Words, speaking of God's greatness, letting your actions be communicated through a testimony of His greatness is going to strengthen believers. Amen? It is going to strengthen, it is going to comfort, and it is going to encourage those who are also trying and feeling a sense of fatigue, who are feeling tired, a day in and day out, moving, being potentially ridiculed, some being even persecuted. Think about the, our teenagers of today. Think about how much you went through when you were a teenager in high school. Now, like, quadruple that because you have social media. And to think that we as, as adults and as parents have the assumption that maybe, ah, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it today. They don't want to hear it. I don't want, ah, maybe I shouldn't send them a text message that say that I'm praying for them. I'll just pray for them now. And like, maybe God will encourage them at some point in the day. We've got to be active. We've got to be active. You never know what word of encouragement the Lord will use. You never know what God will do through those acts of praise. Generation after generation will discover that our God is great. But they'll also discover that our God is good. Let's keep reading verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. So two things are kind of cool about this psalm. This psalm, in its original language, is it's called an alphabet song, psalm. An alphabet psalm means that each line of the psalm goes in the order of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's already complicated. But to make it even more complicated, I guess David was really trying to make this like as spectacular as he could for his last psalm that he was writing. So he alphabetized it, but then he also put it in what's called a chiastic order, which means it's the beginning and the, very, and the end kind of mirror each other in the message. And as you do that, as you look at this mirror, there's a middle section that you kind of are drawn to and focused in. So if ever you read, just by the way, if you ever read a passage and you're like, they just said that like five verses ago, it's probably on purpose. So in this sense, 
The focal point that we're kind of moving towards, that David points us to, is here, is to verses 8 and 9. Which if the Lord is great, and he is worthy to be praised, and we're going to praise him every day, why? It's because he's good. And what is in his goodness, his grace? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. There's always a point to these patterns. And in this, we see that God is good and gracious to the faithful and to the fickle. David here is copying Exodus 34. He's reciting when Moses, this moment, when Moses had this kind of epic faux pas of sorts. It's the moment when these, then when uh, Moses had to remake the two stones that he had broke, the two tablets that he had broke. And just to give you the background, Israel had messed up because when, he went up, when Moses went up on the mountain, he waited too long and they said, we don't even know who God is anymore. Let's make a golden calf and worship that. Big party ensued. Moses comes down with the tablets and he looks at them and he says, what are you doing? And they're like, I don't know, we're just worshiping. And then he ends up breaking the, the tablets, Right? So, you have Exodus 34, where Moses is remaking these two tablets, and he's climbing back up to Mount Sinai to face God, who is in the pillar of cloud, right? I would be terrified. You would be terrified. We would all be terrified. God even said before he started to come up, he's like, I just want you to, he said, you better make sure that no livestock is around, because they're dead, that's what he's going up into. There is a, a greatness that is terrifying. And Moses is coming back up to it with these remade tablets. And the whole situation is messy, but this is what God says to him. In Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7, he said, it says, the Lord passed in front of him, and the Lord proclaimed, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And now what you see here is you see God fully just, God fully holy, not condoning or just letting it pass what just had happened. But Moses with integrity coming up is met not with judgment and not with wrath, but compassion and grace when he least deserves it. When God's people approach him with integrity, with honesty, repenting of sin, they'll be met with grace. Not because God isn't great and he isn't just. It's the very opposite of that. He's so great and he is so just and he's so good. It is in his very nature 
to demonstrate his goodness to those who have failed, to lift them up out of their faults and into his grace. So why does he do that? Because his goodness evokes his gentleness. Our God is gentle. And the greater surprise of this is to whom? To whom is God gentle? Saturated in the scriptures is story after story of a great, mighty, powerful God approaching those who least deserve it with gentleness. Our God is gentle first and foremost to the inadequate and the fallen. So let me skip down a little bit and just show you what, what, what I mean here, especially in this psalm where in, I want to draw your attention to just one verse, verse 14. It said, The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. Now our translation says oppressed. If you're reading the ESV version, I like it a little better because it says who bowed down. But what does that mean exactly? What does it mean, bowed down? The original language says that, bent over. There's a story that Jesus shows here, and this is in Luke 13. Luke 13, it says that there was a woman who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. But when Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. So in both Psalm 145 and in Luke, we have a continued message where we see Jesus making this statement visible which is this, that God is doing the action. God is moving towards the inadequate. God is moving towards the, un, the, the person who is unable to help themselves. The woman is the recipient of the good news. And it was her very inadequacy and inability to rise that evoked Jesus' gentle heart to lift her up. Matthew 11 describes this perfectly where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble or gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We were all reading a book this last spring together. Well, most of us were. If you read it, you know exactly where I'm going. But this is a book called Gentle and Lowly from Dane Ortland, And he says in this time and again, it is the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving, who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ naturally gravitates. Isn't that wild? The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way Jesus moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it and yet desire it. 
Luke 13 is the visible example of verse 14. Because just like my son Elliot said, all scripture points to Jesus, who puts down the lofty and lifts up the lowly. This has taken me forever to learn. I hope I'm not alone in that. This has taken me forever to learn, and I'm still learning about it. I constantly feel the need to approach Jesus with the things that I'm doing, the things that I've done. And wrongly do I attempt to lift myself into a state of worthiness. Wrongly do I lift myself into that kind of state to say, I've got no problems, Jesus. This is going to be fun. You and me together. And yet Jesus doesn't want us like that. He doesn't want me like that. He wants us in our lowest so that he can be the one to lift us up out of it. If you're lofty, you may not be in need of Jesus. But if you feel low, that's where Jesus is coming. That's what Jesus wants. So he can lift you up out of it. This is an example of Jesus, gentle and gracious to forgive. God's greatness, his goodness, his gentleness, all in action in Jesus. When God is at work, he is not detached and aloof, dictating people in history. He's he's greatly caring for our needs and giving us new desires that spring forth new life. Our God is near. Let's read verses 18 through 21 together. It says, The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Friends, in any situation you find yourself in, you can call out to the Lord. Whether you're afraid, whether you're angry, whether you're scared, you can call out to him. The truth is, is that God is able to carry your burden because he is great. But he's willing to carry it because he's good. He draws near to the needy and the loving. And our practice then is to have a regular habit of praise, whereby with sincerity, not eloquence, you're not making a habit of praise so you sound good. You're making a habit of praise so that there's sincerity behind every single situation within your life. God is focused on the matters of the heart. He's not necessarily focused on the words that are being said and how good that sentence was crafted. Jesus draws near to us in that because the greatest truth about God 
and for the reality of us as we practice this habit of praise is that God sent his son Jesus to take the form of humanity, to take on humanity's sin and to die on the cross so that there would never be separation, but that there would be the eternal truth and the truer reality that we are sometimes challenged by, which is God is near and he is close. God came down in Christ to draw near, to show those who trust in Jesus that they have a place to belong, a place, security, and protection. It doesn't mean that we live easy lives, and it doesn't mean that we're going to have, that we won't have difficulties. We will, but we will always have an eternal security. So if you, like me, have struggled with the feeling of God's absence, tell him sincerely. It's not that he doesn't know already, it's that he wants you to tell him. We face mundane moments and in the highs and lows of everyday life, but David has given us an alphabet of reasons to praise God. An alphabet of reasons. God's greatness is wrapped in his goodness. And his goodness evokes his gentleness. And his gentleness promotes promotes his nearness. Because of Jesus, we then can bring honest, sincere praise regularly and tell others our God is great. Would you guys pray with me in that direction? God, you are great. You are good. Your name is lifted high. And we come here today to celebrate all that you've done in Christ. Because of Jesus, we can draw near. Because of Jesus, we're not alone. Because of Jesus, we find eternal security and hope. So God, I ask that you would help us in those moments of discouragement, in those moments of frustration and overwhelm, and in those moments even of inconvenience. God, would you press in on our hearts to reflect on your word, to reflect on your character, and to reflect on Jesus so that no moment would be left untouched. And we wouldn't just be praising you in the high moments and in the low moments, but in every area, in every moment of our days. We love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.